Hello and welcome to Catching Foxes, episode 118, Marriage, Sex, Love, and Respect. I'm your host, Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by my illustrious co-host, Luke Sex Panther Carey. Today on the show, we talk briefly about Disney+, Plus, how Gomer got a new dog named Buddy, that's a multi-poo, and then we dive into the main topic of respect between husband and wife. Make sure you listen all the way to the end, because we issue disclaimers galore. Finally, we want to thank yet again the delightful folks over at CatholicSocial.media for sponsoring this show. What you want, honey, you got it. And what you need, baby, you got it. All I'm asking for is respect when I come home. Hey, hey, hey. Have you uh, gotten into Disney Plus yet? Are you joking? Uh, well, I did the dishes, I watched Peter Pan, and then tonight we watched The Lady and the Tramp thing, and it only made Aaron almost cry once. <laughs> the Lady and the Tramp, so this is the new live-action Lady and the Tramp? Yes. Yes. It was not good, but it was heartwarming. <laughs> and the other... Like, I mean, the film is better. So the film's a decent animated film. It's not one of uh, Disney's best. I'd put it at the very top of, like, your B-pluses. So it's not Aladdin. It's not The Lion King. It's not The Little Mermaid. It's not Snow White. Uh, those are, like, my top A things. You know, uh, I would have Cinderella. And then um, the best, probably, if I'm being honest, is Sleeping Beauty. Uh, I think it's a fit, beautiful, beautiful movie that just actually gets better with time. Huh. Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Like, if you, like, type it into Google search and, like, just take a look at a few of the images off of that film. Sleeping Beauty. That's not the Tell dwarves. me what you're... F- no, that is, uh, that is Snow White. Okay. Very nice. Very. Is that Aurora? That's yeah. Aurora. Yep. Yep. Can you see, like... The way they use, like, the palette in that film is really quite exquisite. So that's, to me, it's kind of, it's like the best. Now, when did you realize that The Simpsons entirely were on Disney Plus? To be honest, I knew it, but I forgot. I didn't know, and I was, like, scrolling through. I saw my kids left. My kids were in the other room, and I hopped on my computer and bought it. I bought it for a year. On my computer first, and then I went in my in the TV and I said, "When you're done with the show, leave that room. I want to install something." And I left and I installed it. My daughter's like, ah, "I want to do this. I want to do that." And so I fired up Disney Plus and I go, "We now have every single thing Disney has ever made." And then so I start scrolling through just to show them, and they're like, "What?" And I was like, "Every Marvel movie, every Star Wars movie, every." Pixar movie and every Disney movie and National Geographic. Woohoo. And then all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> I see The Simpsons on there as I'm scrolling through. And I was like, what? And then I go in there and I click it and it has starts with season one. And I was like, oh, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening, kids. Daddy's going to drink a lot and hang out downstairs by himself. And then my wife says, but you just got a dog today and that's where the dog's going to be. And then you said, don't tell me my business, devil woman, watching The Simpsons. And you were like, wait, I should probably just start with the end of season two and go from there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, but I got, a, I, mean, I got a dog. 
I know. So tell me, what kind of a dog did you get? So whenever I say this, you're going to immediately remove my man card, but it's a multi poo. <laughs> oh, it's a cute. It really is a cute it's dog. It's a Maltese poodle, which is super hypoallergenic. And uh, there were, randomly, I was talking with my wife, and, and we felt bad. We had to get rid of our last dog because our kids were allergic and stuff. And Destroyed your kid's yes, heart. Yes, there's nothing more horrific than having to give a dog yeah, to a kid and then take it away a week pic- later. This is, if you, if you guys ever, uh, if, so if on this here podcast, everyone uh, likes to talk about how I'm the dramatic one and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, I'm not the one who put a picture of my kid holding the, their dog the day they have to, like, get rid of it yeah. <laughs> on the Facebook. Like, look at this picture. <laughs> Feel terrible, everyone. And we all did together. If I have to suffer, I'm taking as many people with me, <laughs> Luke. It was awful. And ma- Shannon made me no, do it No, it's going to be terrible. Shannon made me do it all. She's like, you, you, I can't do this. You go take the dog. And I'm like, ah, this sucks. So, whatevs. It was fun. <laughs> no, so we drove to Austin. So it was really funny. So this is like two weeks ago. I said, Shannon, I think we should get a dog, a little, little dog for our house because we don't have a big backyard. So I was like, get a little dog that can enjoy the backyard. Get a little dog that can be a little snuggle buddy. And it has to be hypoallergenic. And Shannon found it. And then she was like, oh, wow, there's a breeder in Austin. And she believes that families with allergies shouldn't be deprived of these amazing dogs so she sells them for literally half the price of what a normal breeder sells them and they were um already like vaccinated kennel trained um you know like potty trained all that stuff and dewormed we had all they do all that go. stuff when they sell you the dog and they're like yeah we just really believe in getting this dog into as many people's hands as possible because otherwise they couldn't enjoy what it's like to have a dog. And I was like, okay. Aww. So we drove. Like, can you give me another half uh, dog half off, like <laughs> half off of half if I tell <laughs> other might call that a, a quarter. <laughs> uh, if it helps with a, with a kid who has anxiety, yeah. play with that card. Yeah. So it was beautiful. My kids loved it. Um, you know, my wife held it. It was, so we got a freeze last night. Dropped down to 22 degrees here at my house, which is insane. Really? Yeah. Us too? Yeah, it was nuts. And then Austin dropped to like 18. And the house where the dogs were at, the electricity went out, and the heat's uh, is run on electricity. So they had to like go out in the middle of the night and get, or really in the middle of the morning and get um, propane generators and all that stuff. It was pretty awful. The house was freezing cold when we got the dog, and I'm like, I feel uncomfortable about this, but it ended up being okay, and... The dog just instantly took it sleeping in the other room right now. It's not making a single noise. Oh wow! No, because I was, I was, I'm definitely like we're gonna have dog sounds during this podcast because that first night's always the worst. Yeah, it's dead asleep right now. Um, and it's funny because it's uh, it weighs like three pounds. It's ten weeks old. It weighs three oh. pounds, and it'll oh. get to about ten pounds. Oh, it's just like Zara. <laughs> it better not be. <laughs> oh, what? The? You love my dog. Do. Your dogs are great. You slept on their bed, which was our couch. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> You're like, this smells like dog. I was like, what? Oh, God. Oh, God. My worst fear. Get the Febreze. Um, no, so <laughs> we did that today, and um, it took literally all day to do it because it's three hours away. And, uh, yeah, we got home, and, and then I had to leave tonight to teach inclusion. And today was one of my favorite classes because it's on the communion of saints. And I don't know if you remember this, Luke, but there was some cute little Christian girl that wrote a nice – sweet post that i spent hours destroying 
Um, she's like, I'm sorry, but nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to pray to Mary or the saints. They're dead. Instead, we should pray to Jesus, to the, to the Father through Jesus' name. Where was this? It was on Twitter. And I, nah, and I hit reply. Not reply. I hit retweet. Of course you did. And then I just wrote page after page. Not tweet after tweet, my friend. Page after page. And then someone came along and said, hey, you should turn that into a micro book. And I said, what's a micro book? Is that like a regular book? but without a lot of effort put into it. And he said, yes. So that's what I did. And today that was my teaching aid for the class. There you go. So it's all my extremely sarcastic comments to this poor girl. God bless her. <laughs> Some poor girl is just trying to do what she thinks is evangelization, and you're just destroying And her. I'm crapping all over it, which is funny because on the back of it, it has a quote from Shannon that says, see, it's crap like this why we don't have any friends. <laughs> this is how I teach people the Catholic faith. <laughs> oh, I'm proud of you. That is that is wonderful. Thank you. That is wonderful. Thank you. All right, here's the deal. You ain't got no staff, no time, and certainly no budget to make creating compelling content for social media in any way a priority. So what do you do as a Catholic parish? Probably what most parishes do, and you just copy and paste things straight from your bulletin page onto your Facebook page. Man, that ain't no way to live. And yet, all the millennials, Gen Xers, and even grumpy, fussy baby boomers are online like 24-7, which means your church can be online like 24-7. And they don't just want you to have a presence online. They want it to be good, like, like really, really good. That's why CatholicSocial.media exists. You subscribe to them, and they hook you up with daily social media posts that you can personalize for your parish without their, like, logo all over the stuff. You know, like when you illegally pull stuff from Google Image Search, and it has other people's logos all over everything? Not that I've ever done that. I am as pure as the morning dew. CatholicSocial.media is a Catholic company with Catholic artists, designers, writers, and videographers coming up with the very best stuff for your parish. And you can look like a genius and save time and money. Head on over right now to try.catholicsocial.com media apparently the design nerds over there are big fans of catching foxes and they created a free trial with a discount code foxes for you just to try out their stuff and see if it's a good fit for your parish that's a free trial with the promo code foxes over at try.catholicsocial.media special thanks to catholicsocial.media for sponsoring this show uh how shitty was the episode that i that i uh edited last week <laughs> the music with you talking <laughs> at the same volume could not have been more perfect. I just I I didn't Okay, so here's the deal everyone. Some uh one person described it I'm going to assume perfectly, but I, I like what he had to say. I don't understand um uh brr, Dungeons with Dragons or anything like that. I've never I've never played that um don't get it. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying it's bad. I, I just I don't understand how it works. And, Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Yeah. And so he said, um, uh, what did he say? Um, Luke editing the podcast is chaotic good oh, yeah. or, or something like that. And yeah. I had a – so because I couldn't really get the music. Like, I couldn't find a way to make my vocals over the song, like, not just be, like, at the, at the same volume. And it was one in the morning, and it, like I was because uh, like we, so. Just to clarify, we finished recording at twelve p.m. midnight, and it has to post at five a.m. 
And between the time that we were done and the time that we released it, I had to learn how to actually edit a podcast. Because <laughs> for the most part, what I do when we do the B-sides, I do very little editing to it. I just, like, cut off a few parts here and there. I don't do two separate uh, tracks. I just do one track that's, that's already in mono, and it's there, and I cut up, like, a bit, but it's not the two separate things, which is so, like, how we record our podcast is you yeah. record each of our vocals, and then we combine them, and they should sound like it's that um, – so you're, you're hearing the conversation, but you're actually hearing, like, it chopped up and put together. And it sounds much better. It, it depends on. It doesn't always sound better, but it, for the most part, it does. Um, especially if we have everything up and running at like full blast. If I, I don't, I still haven't uh, since we moved. I don't have my uh, one thing hooked up yet. But uh, anywho, so the, the point is, I had to learn how to really actually edit a podcast and put it up there. From t- I had twelve. I had we stopped at twelve o'clock on midnight. It had to be up at five. AM and I needed to sleep in order to be ready to go to work. <laughs> and so I was using GarageBand. I'm like, I don't, un- I was like, okay, so I can't figure out how to make this, like how to, um, make my voice. Like I couldn't figure out how to make like vocals. I did ha- have it fit with, with the overall on the music. And I was like, that's fine. I am okay with that. But the worst part is we never really synced up our audio tracks. We tried, and then somehow in GarageBand, like, I thought it was fine that I would go and check uh, check um, random parts, and it wasn't. So even though certain parts worked, other parts did not, and it was just really screwed up. And finally I had to go, I think this is – I thought it was good to go at – 3 a.m. Then I realized I was not, and I was like, crap, I'm screwed. So I just had to be like, okay, one more hour, and I'm done at 4, and when we're done, we're done. Yeah. And so there we go. And I, I like, like I made a couple of dumb mistakes trying to trying to upload, but that's, that's just because I was just so tired. So, But I think it worked. That's my typical Thursday night. That's- <laughs> Staring at a screen being like, of course, mine is not that I'm trying to figure out how to do it. But I'm going overboard with what I'm doing, and then I get so tired. I'm like, "That's screw the rest." <laughs> <laughs> this description of chaotic good is hilarious. A chaotic good character acts as his conscience directs him, with little regard for what others expect of him. <laughs> he makes his own way, but he's kind and benevolent. I was trying. It was well. That was like the hardest part. Was just all of a sudden I'm like, "Wait, this all this like all like it all worked." And then out of nowhere, the first 20 minutes just were out of sync. And I don't know if I extended a thing or I don't know what happened, but I was like, I'm so deliriously tired. And I'm I'm having to teach myself how to do this stuff. I know. It was heroic, Luke. You did so good. And then a hero comes along with the strength to carry on. Anywho, chaotic good is the best alignment you can be because it combines a good heart with a free spirit. So suck it, nerds. (laughs) chaotic evil characters believe that freedom should only exist for those creatures strong enough to keep it they will go out of their way to corrupt the good and destroy their works they see no value in any individual's life other than whatever value it has to gratify that particular chaotic evil character which is how i edit as i call it tuesday night (laughs) yep no that's it so what are we talking about Today, do we have anything, or are we just going to talk about Disney Plus? Because I'm more than willing to do that. 
No, I have a topic, and you know what that topic is, and we are going to enjoy the shit out of it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. All right. Enjoy this 30-minute catechesis, everyone. I'm out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think it's a really interesting topic. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want to start this off with a funny story. <laughs> and I've been thinking about this. It's not really a funny story. It's a funny comment about sex. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have been thinking about That's this. Actually, like, this is actually a better sound for, for sex. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I, for one, don't know why we're not invited to more Catholic things. <laughs> okay, so let me say this again. I think this issue touches on our marriage thing that we talked about briefly about Katie Prejean McGrady on Twitter. Where and Matt Frad and Tim Gordon about husband, submissiveness to wives and the boss and blah blah blah, like whole marital debt. But the funny statement that I was thinking about the other day was I was thinking about when I was having sex with my wife. Now I went, I want to while, ask you like this while this is happening. Yeah, no. no <laughs> let me rephrase this. I was reflecting on having sex with my wife, and I realized I do something every time I have sex with her. Okay, and then I asked my wife this question. I said, "Do you do this when we are making the whoopee?" And she's like, "Finish it." No, <laughs> yeah. having having a pleasurable experience. No, I don't do that. Yeah. Thank you, you little weasel. Thank <laughs> you. Cry after it's done. No, <laughs> you don't. You don't cry, Shannon. Stare in the mirror and go, "You try to try harder next time. You're gonna be better. You're good enough. You're strong enough. And doggone it, people like you. You don't do that afterwards." So it's basically that, but during sex. <laughs> I realize, this is so funny, I realize I talk to myself so much during sex. Like like what? Like, da-da-da-da-da-da, hey, da 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 No, there's certainly not that song. Uh, no, I'm like giving myself a pep talk. If you reach into your soul and the sorrow. I'm like coming up with strategies. I'm like, oh, do you think she's liking this? I better try something different. I am literally walking through the gamut of conversations. Like, oh, what was that noise? Is that good or bad? I, I can't tell. I'll try to get. No, that was a bad noise. Okay, switching it up. I just talked to myself like I'm the foreman of a construction crew. And all these people are busy doing different things, and I'm just giving commands in my head and strategizing. And the language is as blue as you would expect. (laughs) Do you do that? Do Um, you ever talk to yourself? Or have you ever realized you talking to yourself during sex? Cue cue my sisters turning off the podcast right now. (laughs) Cue my parents turning it up. (laughs) They're like, what? Gomer did what? I thought he was a virgin. Isn't he a priest? Who taught him how to do that? I didn't teach him how to do that. Did you teach him how to do that? Uh, he was homeschooled. One of us had to teach him. I thought we were just going to give up on this one. Um, <laughs> Lord knows life did. I mean, we paid Shannon to marry him. <laughs> that dowry was expensive. <laughs> Three goats and ten Philly cheesesteak franchises. <laughs> Uh, Luke, I'm burying my soul here and being vulnerable. Oh, sorry, How no. often do you talk to yourself? <laughs> I know you are, and I'm just thinking and running. Because I had a beer with 7.5% alcohol. Um, okay, so, no, um, there are times when I do, uh, 
It's it, so funny. It's not a monologue, but there are times, um, not uh, kind of, but not really. But but I understand that, like it has it happened before. Yes, do I understand why a person would do that? Yes. I just think it's so – like, I didn't even realize I was doing it until the other day. I was thinking about, man, I really do talk to myself. Like, I'm giving myself pep talks. But the, not really pep talks. That's, okay, oh, you can do this. You can get it. No. So my, my whole segue into this was – Heaving ho. Heaving ho. <laughs> Pace yourself, Cormac. Pace yourself. It's the determined that win the race, not the fast. It's the, it's the uh, <laughs> dwarf songs from – from Snow White, <laughs> dig, 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 the, uh, the whole way through. <laughs> it's what we like to do. In our mind. In our... Sorry. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Poor that was very spiritual. <laughs> you might have to cut that out. <laughs> yeah. Or lead with it. <laughs> Catching Fox's way. Okay, so the reason why I bring this up is... I want to talk about something. So there's this guy named Dr. Emerson, and he has a book called Love and Respect. And it was brought to my attention by two or three different people, and I didn't really – I never – okay, whatever. I'll think about it. I'll browse through it. Um, And then I uh, got connected to it, and I can't remember exactly how. But um, I I got the book, and I had the book, and I was like, oh, I want to look at this. Oh, I remember. I I was teaching this – skills class for marriage for convalidating couples and it's more like spirituality of living your sacrament and so i did want to throw in some skills self-help type stuff just to you know iron out some of these things if people come from a higher conflict home because typically when they're convalidating usually it's only one spouse that cares to get their marriage sacramentalized in the church and the other one doesn't and so it's like okay well how do we smooth these rough edges and so i began looking through and reading a lot of these um books on spirituality, but I'm not looking for holding hands and praying together. I'm looking for how do we have a successful marriage biblically, right? And obviously prayer is a part of it. But um, so I I, I get this guy's book and uh, I read through the beginning and I really, I I was kind of taken aback by his approach, meaning I've never heard the way he put it, but it made a lot of sense to me in a way that made me very uncomfortable with our modern way of looking at marriage. So essentially it's um, when Tim Gordon was on Matt Frad's post or uh, show, uh, he said the problem with modern marriages today that are, and this is me paraphrasing is that like, he said something like Pope John Paul added a lot of confusion because he took Ephesians five twenty one be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ and then he used that to reinterpret wives be subject to your husbands out to the Lord, right? The husband is the head of the uh, head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. And he used that to soften the blow of the fact that the man is the wife's boss, right? And he shouldn't have done that. That departed from church teaching. He never should have done that. So I began like on the side, consuming a lot of content in Catholic circles and Protestant circles that kind of revolve around that that passage in Ephesians 5. And when I read this uh, Dr. Emerson guy, he opened up for me. So his book's called Love and Respect. And the whole here's the whole premise of it. Men want respect from their wives. They want to be respected as a human person. And women want to be loved 
as a human person from their husband. They want to be loved as they're cherished as the bride of the husband. But men want respect. And when women love men but they don't respect them, uh, it causes the men to reject the woman and not, lo- not show her love. And so he takes the vast, last verse that says, this is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. And then verse 33 it says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So you can kind of look at this phrase as love and respect as kind of the interpretive understanding of what it means to be subject. And I found that so fascinating. Because number one, it flies in the face of our culture today, which is like, no, you earn respect, but you're required to give love. And this Dr. Elder or um, Emerson guy is like, "This this is the fundamental problem today. Everything about Christianity is love, 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 love. But when it comes to marriage, we have a direct command from the apostle, and it's in Peter too, of, no, you have to respect your husband. And he says, we talk about unconditional love, but we're kind of revolted by the notion of unconditional respect. And I am. But when I'm listening to him, I absolutely want what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I haven't um, read the book, but I did um, listen to a talk that he gave on the topic on yeah. double speech. So I, in podcast terms, I am I'm more than qualified to talk about it at length. <laughs> In the podcast world, I practically have a PhD. But I did just make a joke about my best friend having sex um, with his wife to the song by uh, the dwarves from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. So uh, yeah. here we go. Um, feel free to edit that out. Uh, nope. I feel bad about that now. I mean, it was pretty funny. In a mine, in a mine. Sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, uh, that won't make any sense if you don't remember that that song. Um Okay, so it's – I have so many thoughts on this, um, and I, I'm going to go off on two things very, very quick. One is the respect, and two is the, as, is the aspect of, re, of, of a receptivity. So let's take the respect part. Um, this should make all of us uncomfortable for a uh, couple of reasons. One is um, – it's just not a thing that's really talked about anymore. It's not important. We don't discuss like things like honor or if you care about that, you're actually viewed as it's just it's kind of like an absurd notion where even 200 years ago it was the thing that people fought and died over. Um, I'm not saying that honor and respect are the are the exact same thing, but the idea of how you view yeah. another person and what is um, given to them because of who and what they are. It's someone of an absurd notion because of uh here you know like we just like we live in a culture where everything is earned and not much is really given uh there are pros and cons to that uh but i I would say that one of the cons is that if you don't have the capacity to give or if what you give doesn't um benefit any like there's no room for dignity in that so the yeah, we're we're all producers and consumers. Yeah. Just, so if you can't, and that's where your dignity lies. And if you can't do one of those two, one of those two things, you are handicapped. You are old. You are very very young. As in, you know, just being conceived. Yeah. You are um, kept at arm's length. But this inherent um, need for respect, especially with and also, so like I think um, why it's this is the hard thing to really try to understand is because. For very good reason, coming out of you know, like we have a lot of hang-ups from the from the 
a Victorian era, even how some houses are, are like designed and stuff still, kind of yeah. comes from this uh, time period where actually in terms of Christianity um, from like a Protestant perspective, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like blame the Protestants. This is just how this kind of played out. So people always criticize Game of Thrones for how, for like, you know, how they like view women, but how they actually, and but the attitude they take towards women is actually not like medieval attitude. It is a Victorian attitude. And so we've had to, you know, we're kind of coming out of um, the, the hangover from that, where it's like, wait, we need to treat we need to treat women with a lot more respect than what, what we used to, and um, so there's this idea that if we talk about a, a man's need for respect, it must come at the expense of of a woman somehow, or the respect that like that they deserve, which I don't think is true, but I understand why the why the culture thinks that. And the other thing is, when you talk about love in marriage, that's the most important thing. But respect is never really a thing that's talked about. It, so it's just assumed that, no, respect is something earned, and love is something that's required to be given unconditionally. And so Dr. Eldridge's point is that men are wired to be – now, women obviously – he, he goes at pains to say this. Women obviously want respect, and there are some women where they want it primarily and men obviously want love and there's some way some men that want that primarily but by and large to the tune of like 85 percent of men view their lives through the lens of respect and he said for so long we have minimized this as an actual key ingredient in marriage and it was a university of washington study where they were going through all these couples and it was a 20-year study of 2,000 couples and they observed them even with, like, heartbeat monitors and all this stuff when they were fighting and did all this stuff. And he said the results were fascinating because for the men, men, he said, want honor and respect more than anything else. Like, that's how they understand and process what is love. Like, what is meaningful for me? If a woman comes at it from the lens of love and that's what's meaningful for her to feel loved and to be loved, then what happens is when a man does operates out of this zone of respect, it might act or feel very unloving to the woman. And when a woman acts out of love, it might feel very disrespectful to the man. And so this study th that they showed was so fascinating because it was like 85% of men, when they got into an argument with the woman, and like 97% of the time, the woman is the one that did it. They were complaining and criticizing constantly to the point where the researchers literally wanted to leave it out of the study because they thought it was stereotypical and would just reinforce politically incorrect views of women. Oh, she's a nag. And they wanted to leave it out. But they found out over and over again the women were the primary instigators of these conflicts because they would make a critical or complaining comment. And the man would start to talk and then they found that his heart rate would i mean every you know whenever you're in an argument right your heart your blood pressure goes up your heart rate goes up but for a man it goes up to the levels of fight or flight and it, they said that his heartbeats were getting up to like 90 beats per second right before the man shut down and walked away or went silent and the women so then these researchers started like why did you go silent and he's like well it's, not, it's just not worth it. You know, she's bringing this up again and again and again. It's just not worth it. 
And when they started diving into this, like the whole point of this was the man shuts down, you know, nine times out of 10 in the middle of a fight because he thinks he's doing the honorable thing because that's how he fights with his friends. You know, you might wrestle, you might scream and yell or whatever at your friends, but you go to a line and you're like, and I'm not going to cross this line. Case in point, the movie um, Ford versus Ferrari, the two guys are fighting Christian Bale and Matthew, uh, Matt Damon, Matthew Damon, Uh, (laughs) they're fighting each other. Exactly. They're fighting each other. And at one point, he the guy said groceries, and he grabs a can of corn, and he's going to smack the guy in the head. But then he realizes, no, that that's actually going to hurt him. And even though they're really fighting, he grabs Wonder Bread and starts smacking him in the head. Like, that's the, the honorable thing to do is to shut down and withdraw. But then they interview the wives, and they say, how do you feel when your husband goes right to that point, and then he shuts down and withdraws? She said, I feel like that's an act of hostility. And so then they began asking the women, well, why do you complain and criticize events or him so much and she said because i love him like i'm, I'm bringing this up because we need to address this and right when we start to address it he shuts down and walks away but from the so from the woman's perspective she is you know quote unquote nagging because that's how she connects with him she's trying to bring an issue up so that they can address it and it's annoying her because he doesn't seem to want to address it and to the man he doesn't see it as her bringing up an issue he sees it as the issue behind the issue. The real issue is she's just using this, you know, I left my socks on the floor again. I, you know, forgot to do the dishes. She's using that as just an opportunity to let me know that she really doesn't love me or care about me or respect me. We do argue all the time. If I've learned anything in five years of being married is we're always working on me. You know? <laughs> Evidently, my wife is this completed work under museum glass that is to be admired and studied. Like, hmm, how did she do that? And I'm like one of these guys, one of the, you know those buildings that just has scaffolding around it for like six straight years? And you're like, are they ever going to finish that thing? Is that some sort of insurance job? Jesus Christ, what a piece of shit. You should just tear it down and start over again. Yeah. And so um, one of the things that they asked these people was, if, if you could, we're going to play a game of uh, would you rather. If you could either, or which would you rather have? Would you rather be left alone and unloved by the world? Or would you rather be viewed as inadequate and disrespected by everyone in the world? And I asked that to a, uh, a bunch of guys at my office. Like literally without even, oh, I would definitely would rather be alone and unloved. Why do I need to be loved for? What people are annoying, but disrespect me? No, thank you. And I was like, that is so fun. That's exactly how I feel. Like, I'm cool being alone. <laughs> like, I know I need to be loved and to love, but there is something fun about it. And so his whole thing is, if a wife and a husband are experiencing profound conflict in their homes, the wife, if she starts showing him unconditional respect, and he starts demonstrating to her unconditional love, you will both stop attacking each other, get off the what he calls a crazy cycle, she feels unloved, so she treats him with disrespect. He feels disrespected, so he treats her with unlove, uh, with a lack of love. And then if you just force the issue of, well, no, regardless of how you treat me, I'm going to treat you with respect and you with love. Then they say you get off the crazy cycle and you begin having a better marriage. And I'm going to tell you, I know that's somewhat controversial for some people, but it has completely changed my marriage in the past week. In the past week, I went to my wife and I said to her, Shannon, nothing makes me feel like you appreciate me more than when you come up to me and say things like, honey, I know you had a really rough day at work, but I just want you to know I love the fact 
that you put it all out on the line, that you're doing all this extra work so that I can be at home with the kids. You have no idea how much I respect you because of the life you give us. Just by that comment, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'll, I'll do this all day. Another lawsuit, please. I can take it because my <laughs> wife said that. Hmm. I, I can um, I remember when uh, we had a buddy of ours, uh, Word, uh, who uh, he brought his youth group kids to um, some retreat or something, and he had them like have these shirts that um, said backwards, I'm awesome and I'm beautiful. And so whenever they were in the mirror, they if uh, the girls saw, they, uh, saw one that said, I'm beautiful, and the guys um, saw, saw one that said, I'm, that said, I'm awesome. And I really like that because I think, you know, it's very, uh, like, we all know the importance of telling um, um, women that, like, they, that, um, uh, th- uh, they're, that they are beautiful. And we do it for two reasons. One, because it's true. And two, because uh, the world, that's how the world tears them down. Well, that's yeah. how, uh, that's how so many um, women feel like they just aren't pretty or they, you know, aren't beautiful, which is, which, you know, which is a lie. But for men that desire to know that I'm awesome, I'm really, really good. Like I'm great. Um, not in a bad way, not in this, like, I'm great. Watch me just, just, you know, I, I'm not talking about toxic masculinity. I'm saying that yeah. this is where the confidence piece comes in and why that is so important why girls why women find that attractive i think is because it's in an, there is this masculine element to it and again we're not talking in absolutes here and we're not like this is yeah. just a, um so i want to make sure generalizations yeah. and types and we're not talking about cases of abuse yes that's and he, he made that, that is very outside clear. the realm we're talking yeah. about two good people who are in a lot of conflict, but they love each other. Yeah, this is like the but crap they can't of everyday figure out life. How to make it work? Yeah, yeah, this is the crap of everyday life, kind of, kind of, kind of stuff. And they need to know that I'm. And because it's because of talk because of toxic masculinity and the damage that that's done, or the damage, you know, whatever. I, I don't. I mean, there's all we can go. <laughs> I don't know, but um, I mean, I believe that at times, and there are times where I'm like, this is going a little bit. I, I don't know. Yeah, I have issues yeah. with all that, but uh, but yeah. it, but it's also like, hey, can I have a point though? <laughs> um, but you can't like guys. I mean, to know that they're awesome and that they're great because if not, they're gonna like it's it's just as damage. It's like telling a girl, no, you're actually ugly. Stop telling yourself that. Yeah. That's what the kind of damage it does to a, to like um, a dude to like a, a dude's psyche, which is one reason why I think a lot of Christian men tend to be very passive. Yeah. Is because of this. And the the guy talks about, he was a pastor for 30 years, and he said, this was the message I constantly told men. Well, you just need to be more loving and love and love and love and love. And while it's true, so the, his whole thing is men are commanded to love, agape, love. Every time there's a command in the Greek to men or, in reg- or to husbands towards their wives, it's always agape, which is a self-sacrificial love. And for women, it's it's almost always you know, submission, respect, or be subject. And whenever it mentions in the New Testament for wives to love husbands, it never uses the word agape, ever. It uses the word phileo, which means friendship. And the the guy kind of makes this point that, like, within this whole matrix of men and women, I, because I view things through the respect lens, I have to be commanded to love the woman. Like I, and this is part of me going outside myself 
because of the sake of Christ, to love you the way you need to be loved. And you have to go outside of yourself in order to love me the way I need to be loved. But the difficulty is, because I don't view it from your perspective, and you don't view it from my perspective, it becomes so easy, so easy to say uh, your side, your views don't matter. And right now as a culture, and this is the thing that fascinates me. So I did this study called Enculturate where we took, uh, in order to prepare our church to be better integrated with our um, Latino members, right? Principally Latino, but it actually works for, for everything. It's this cross-cultural. How do you have cross-cultural competencies? It's a book put out by the USCCB, and I thought it was going to be as shitty as that sounds. But it actually is a really good book to understanding culture. But the last part in it, I, it pissed me off. It said hierarchical cultures, non-egalitarian cultures, basically traditional cultures. You find them in Asia, Africa, Latin America, everywhere except basically modern Europe and, uh, you know, Australia and, and, and America and Canada are hierarchical societies. They're masculine cultures. And the new type of culture, that's a feminine culture. It's egalitarian. Uh, it's not, you know, harsh. And you go through all this stuff, and I realize now that if that were true, it paints a better picture of understanding what you said in the very beginning. Living for honor was something we did like 200 years ago. And it's true. I mean, they're literally, sociologists call it the honor and shame culture. And those were masculine cultures. And now we're shifting into a feminine culture, which is not an honor and shame culture. It's a love and nurture culture. And honor and shame is born by dealing with adversity and all this stuff. Nurture and shame is kind of what you're seeing today of like, there's a lot of Christian good with it, right? Love the person for who they are, not how they perform. And for men, it's like, no, you have to achieve. But when you only have the one and you exclude the other, you actually, we, which is what the problem with a male-dominated patriarchal society was, is it denied the uniquely feminine. But now we're denying the uniquely masculine, and we're despising it. We're calling it toxic even when it's not. And that's the part that I think is deadly. Hmm. But here's the deal. Okay, so let, let's move. Let's Sorry that I, I, wanna... I don't have a lot to add. To that. I'm just like I'm kind of I'm just lost in thought. I I, I do. Sorry. Where do you want to go with this? Because I might have one more thing to add. But keep okay. Going. So uh, so specifically, the, so man is commanded to love his wife because it's difficult for the man. He wants to respect her. He wants her to respect him. The woman doesn't want to respect the man. She wants. So the idea was. I don't know if uh, I don't know if, if that's actually true. No, 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 no. Not like doesn't want to respect. But the idea is, we come from these perspectives, regardless of what the perspectives are. When you come from a perspective of how you view love and relationships are supposed to go, you expect that to be received by you. And when you don't see it that way, even though the other person sees it from a different perspective, and they are loving you from their perspective you might interpret it negatively because you don't. So, for instance, um, this one guy, uh, Reverend Timothy Keller, talks about um, when him and his wife first got married, uh, him and his wife had this knockdown, drag-out fight when their kiddo was first born, their first kid was born. Because in her house, the way the husband showed that he loved his wife was that as soon as he got home from work, everything he could do to help out around the house, I think they were farmers, so they kind of lived and worked in the same place. He Every time there was a poopy diaper, he changed the diaper when he was around, right? It was just everyone's responsibility. He who smelt it, uh, what was it like if you smell it? Finders keepers. But Reverend Timothy Keller, when he was a kid, his dad worked in a corporation in the city. 
And when he came home to the suburbs, his wife showed her love for her husband by never having him because he was exhausted at the end of the day and blah, blah, blah. Never had to worry about changing a diaper. He's like, I bet you my dad to this day doesn't even know what's inside a baby's dirty diaper, right? So when they got married, their marriage was awesome until they had the first kid. And then he smelt one day his son had a poopy diaper. And he looks at his wife and he's like, poopy diaper. And then she looks at him and says, finders keepers. And he looked at her and he's like, excuse me? And they had this huge fight because he thought she was, and he didn't put it in this language. And this doesn't come from the book. This comes from a marriage series that they just did that I listened to from uh, the homilies of his podcast. But he was like, essentially, he felt so disrespected because in his family, the wife did that as an act of love to her husband. You work so hard. So when she told her husband after he just got home from work to go change the diaper, to him, it was perceived as this huge dismissal. Of what he did all day. Like, you, you don't even care? You don't even care that I was out doing, like, how disrespectful could you be? And then for her, she was like, you don't even care that I've been dealing with this poopy diaper all day? How disrespectful can you, or how unloving can you be? And it's just interesting, like, when he starts off, first he starts off with the perspectivism. But then he ties it to these notions of not everyone feels this way, but typically women want love, men want respect, dot, dot, dot. And so he begins to show you how when women show love, respect to their husbands, it causes men to want to show love to their wives. And when women show, or then when men show love to their wives, it causes them to want to respect their husbands. And when I saw that and combined that with that notion of culture, you realize that a male-dominated society will be an honor and shame culture. And when you have a female-dominated society, the future is female, right? We have a strong feminine culture, and it's ever-growing. Um, you have a nurture or care society, and men often don't know how to operate in that culture. And I think this then connects us to the lack of confidence. We're a bunch of boys who were never taught how to be men, and then but we have the sexual desire for women that we feed ourselves with through pornography. And then when actually we encounter women, we don't know how to actually love and communicate to them. So what do we do? We interpret it through the lens of not honor and shame because that's bad, bad, bad. So we manipulate. We become passive aggressive. We become the nice guy instead. Uh, and then the women try to, I mean, the women negotiate that response. But it's not from this understanding of who we are as men and women. Mm, yeah. I'm trying to think where does receptivity come into play with all of this because you hear with in Ratzinger – and Hans Urson Balthasar and uh, different writers, I'm pretty sure that it is Balthasar. They talk about the importance of receptivity and that the church is a receptive body and we, we need to be more um, like the church would would do well to, to really own that. Well, so think about and, this well, for well, well, men well, and women. Sorry, okay, go. So uh, speaking specifically of receptivity, he uses this notion of air tanks and air hoses. Like there's an air tank called love and an air tank called respect, and it's connected directly to my ability to breathe. Then he said when men and women don't show this, right, so they're not receiving the other as other. They're receiving the other as self, as me. But the other isn't me. It's, it's a unique and distinct, what Pope John Paul called a whole other world, an alter ego. Another self, but a self that's so distinct, it's a whole other world. And he says that when there, there's conflict, he said the man pushes the woman off of his air hose because he can't breathe. Because she's not showing him 
He's not getting that respect, so he can't breathe. But mm-hmm. he said in rejecting that receptivity, he stay, and in order to defend himself, he stands on her air hose of love and doesn't show her the love. And she pushes him. So in her ability, so in her desire to defend herself, she commits an offense against him. And when there's that lack of receptivity of the other as other, like the woman is called to receive the man as she is a woman, but as he is a man. She's not called to turn him into a woman or to turn her in, turn him into a being like herself. Mm-hmm. And yet time and time again in our culture, when you think about marriages, Bill Burr said it like the most amazing. I literally want to take that 45-minute talk that you watched and just splice comedians' quotes in it. Because he, Bill Burr's latest comedy special, he says the funniest thing. He goes, so I'm married, been married for five years. He goes, got a comment to make. Why am I the only one that needs to be uh, worked on? Why am I the only My wife is a pristine per- I have no problems with my wife. Yet she always seems to have a problem with me. I'm always changing shit and working on shit, and I'm going to counseling for my anger. And it's so funny because that's the accepted norm. You have to change in order to adapt yourself to this to, to my version of receptivity. See, that's not receptive. That's you, I demand that you change to become what I want you to be in terms of you become the feminine, not the masculine loving the woman and receiving the woman as a woman. Does that make sense? It's almost like impositional instead of receptive. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it's fair. Well, because I was, I was also I'm wondering, and this could be totally wrong, but this idea that, um, oh, gosh, what's that one line? I think it's... I have, I, believe it's St. Paul where he says, but like a above all, it is like it is love that counts or it is love or something like that. Or you're talking about first Corinthians 13 where he says, uh, yeah, uh, faith, hope and love remain, but the greatest of so these is love. is love. Yeah. So I'm wondering if like, there's some type of a, like, like what, how, where does that, and they really could be talking about two different things here, but where does that come into play with all of this? And is that like, and is receptivity yeah. a part of that? Well, I would say that comes into play. This is what Timothy Gordon gets wrong. And this is what the kind of like traditional or conservative approach to Ephesians 5 gets wrong that I think that Reverend Timothy Keller gets right. That first verse in verse 21, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. What they do is they say, no, we're going to bracket that and put that off as one thing. And it doesn't apply to wives and husbands. The man is head. He's not subject. How do you have a head that is then subject to his wife? How do you have a wife who's submissive but then subject to her husband or has the husband subject to her? And so – and then afterwards, it talks about children and parents. And then after that, it talks about slaves and masters. So these are three relationships, husband and wife, children and parents, slaves and masters. This is what the critic will say. Exactly where you don't have uh, people being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's where I think they fundamentally get it wrong. I think that's where they check Christianity at the door is when they act like a husband and a wife are not first brother and sister in Christ. Because when thing, you mm-hmm. disregard the spiritual union of the couple before the marital union, when you disregard Christ as the center of the sacrament, right, 
when you disregard what we could say, the sacramentality of the marriage, which is receptivity, right? When you disregard that, you disregard the fundamental Christian stance of a marriage, which is even though the husband might be head over the wife, they are both to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. It, it, that's what changes everything. So he says, children and parents, you're, even children and parents, in the end, are brothers and sisters in Christ. Even slaves and masters are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a whole book called Philemon where St. Paul sends a slave back to his master and says, you are to receive him not as a slave, but as a brother in the Lord. Yes, even as my son. And you're to love him. That overthrows slavery, except that what happened was Christians didn't want to live by Ephesians 5.21, and we just live the way the world lives. Children obey parents, slaves obey masters, and that's it. Because hmm. look, I mean, in verse 4 of chapter 6, so children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. That's respect, right? Mm-hmm. That's respect. Honor mm-hmm. your father and mother. So the children's attitude, what do parents want? Wives, uh, mothers, as well as fathers? They want to be respected. A disrespectful child is is one of the most enraging things of being a parent. Can you talk uh, about, for, like, what yeah. do you, so, sorry, you're, okay, you're on a roll, then I have a question. Go. Yeah, I was just going to say, but verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So he's telling his father, the fathers, don't, don't take your headship and smash your children with it. Don't provoke them to anger, right? Like, that's the whole thing. And then he says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your earthly masters. Masters, do the same to them and forbear threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there will be no partiality with him. What is he saying? He's saying husbands and wives. Husband is the head. Wife, you know, Cassie Kenubi, wife is the heart. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. But he says, but both of you are subject to one another out of reference for Christ. That's the fundamental Christian difference. It's not that the husband gets to lord it over his wife. The, the parents get to lord it over their slaves or, or children. Whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> Mow my lawn. Or the masters get to lord it over their slaves. Even the masters are slaves to another master that is the Lord. And that's the fundamental shift that I think is the Christian mystery that they just dismiss because, well, it denies headship. Hell yeah, it denies ultimate headship because Christ is the ultimate head. And I think about my own parents' marriage. My mother completely disrespects my father to the point where it is the, like when I think about their marriage, that is the only thing I know about my parents' marriage. My mother greatly disrespects him. She trash talks him. She thinks she's being, she does it as a joke or, or sarcastic all the time to my wife. Oh, Don, yeah, you know, ugh, he does nothing. Just totally trashes him, even though for three days, he, you know, back when he used to work, so he's retired now, he would take off of work just to clean the house for two or three days if they were going to have company over on a Saturday. And she would be like, he does nothing. He did nothing. Now, and then my dad, my mom's number one complaint is we never do anything together. We never, we never go out. We, he never takes me out to dinner. He never takes me out to a movie. And I'm like, yeah, he's not showing you love. He doesn't want to spend time with you. And you don't show him respect. You don't think he has any worth. You don't like him, and he doesn't love you. And you wonder why all you have in common is the television and Fox News. And you start to see this, and you're like, holy shit, this is, this is dangerous. I know wives who, who trash talk their husbands all the time, who make comments about, like, their income is not a – like, I don't think women – maybe women do understand this because they're not you – know, they're not idiots. Uh, but, the, like, to make comments about money, like, oh, we don't have enough money, 
can just destroy a man. Like his self-esteem, his self-worth, like, oh, we can't buy that. We don't have any. Oh, you need to get a second job or something like that. Like that, I, I had a friend who's, who's dealing with that, like bought his wife a vehicle, but it wasn't the right, it wasn't the newest version. They got a nice house, but they needed help from the parents. They did this thing over here, but you know, it wasn't this vacation that their friends took. And I used to say like, oh, she's always just comparing herself to her friends. But now I'm like, she doesn't feel loved by him at all. And they have a, a horrible marriage. So she's disrespecting him because that's her way of defending herself. Yeah. What do you think respect looks like? Because that is the thing that is so – Yeah, it's almost a foreign concept now. So like what does it – and I think the, when people tend to think of it, they think of it in these douchebaggery terms. So do we need to reapproach how we view douchebaggery or do we need a better <laughs> understanding of what respect actually looks like? Well, I would say, yeah, respect – yeah, put aside the caricatures, right? First, think of respect as tying it to things done for the sake of another, for the good of another, right? So, but like achievements in the world or things done in the world. If my wife tomorrow were to come up to me and say, hey, I need to tell you something. I was, and she's, if she were to say to me, hey, I listened to your last episode and I thought it was amazing. Like, especially when you did blah, blah, blah. Or when you said that, I've never thought of that before. Do you, like, do you understand what that would do to me? Like, I would... I like every so often my wife when me and you record she sits in the family room and she watches one of her period piece shows and we laugh about it because I said period and uh and she'll come in like when we're talking and she'll make little comments because she was really she put it on pause and was listening and then wants to say something funny or whatever nothing in the world makes me feel better than that like honestly so I would say respect yeah, no is- I get that because I've I've actually experienced um, that with Erin when she has brought up things on the podcast that she's heard that she has liked. That have, that actually um, means more to me than uh, someone that her be like, oh, that was really funny, you know, or something like that. So if my wife were to say to me, you know, you're just the most handsome man. I I am so lucky to be married to you. I'd be like, thanks, babe. That's awesome. But if she were to come up to me and say. Like, oh, my goodness, I, I was talking with someone, and they said you had a talk on the Eucharist that you gave recently, and I went and listened to it, and, honey, I never thought of that, or what you said was amazing, or the way you phrase it. The ach- Respect is about achievements that are done. So if you feel, women out there, that you're married, and you, you want to get on the respect game of your husband, the idea is just sit down and write him a letter. I respect you because, and just say that, I respect you because every day you go to a job that maybe you're not crazy about and you do your best and you make our family help uh you know secure mm-hmm. and uh, even if you're both if dual income even if the wife makes more money it doesn't like it none of that matters in this game right in this in the situation um another thing is um so this guy so i said this to this guy and the guy goes uh, I'm struggling with – he didn't say I'm struggling with. He said, okay, tell me more about this respect thing. Because the respect – one of our um, Patreon people saw the title and he said, I love that book. I read it like two years ago. I think he was a priest. I read it two years ago. I recommend it to couples. And then they all have a problem with what they call the respect bomb because he spends so much time on it in the beginning that it, it tends to shut women off for the whole rest of the book. And so and – I, and I agreed. Like, yeah, that that can really happen. But – the problem is respect is the overlooked one. Love isn't. Love is the overemphasized one. 
And so the other way of respect is, uh, so this guy in the hallway said to me, you know, oh, that's really interesting. And I said, if my wife were to do that, I would, I would go through the moon. And he said, uh, I sent my wife a review from work of me. And he said, and if she, I, I, I haven't read it. If she were to tell me what it says, he's like, Gormley, I'm gold. If she were to be like, do you know what your boss said about you? He said X, Y, how awesome is that? I'm gold. Sometimes when I'm working, I just want my wife to be in the room, and I don't want to talk to her. I'm cool if she's on her phone. But, like, I just want to be near her while I'm accomplishing. You remember when me and you were talking about men's groups, and I said you need to do something? Like, you can't just talk? That's the feminization of Christianity, which is good. Like, people need to talk. They need to learn how to express themselves. But men struggle connecting emotions with words and expressing them. Women don't. Women excel at that. So if all a small group of men is, is them talking about their feelings, it's going to die. So, for instance, I, I know I have a buddy in a men's group, and he just says it's a, it's a knitting circle. right? He dismisses it. He can't stand it. But then this guy said, here's one example of respect. Just having a woman in the room, your wife in your room, who's, who's not talking to you, but she's just there with you. Her presence means the world to that man because it's giving value to what he's doing and it's them doing that friendship thing where they're you know c.s lewis says eros is love where you look at each other whereas phileos is love where you're both standing shoulder to shoulder looking at the same thing there's like some common good between you he's like that's what makes men thrive with their wives and I, when when i heard like yeah well, i remember when me and shana were for, when we were dating right before we got married like and i was playing the xbox i just wanted her to be around me even if we weren't and i'm a talker what? Even if we, <laughs> as the waveform of my 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 track will demonstrate, going back to the idea of a men's group, I, yeah. I think it's interesting when you view this in terms of respect. I th- I think when you have like good, I mean, it's okay. So some, yes, I think. I mean, I don't know. I'm someone who doesn't mind talking about my feelings. Yeah, all that much. Uh, it's not a big deal for me but i don't like it when it doesn't go anywhere i am intrigued more by when we talk about ideas yeah or things that actually are trying to like lead somewhere or like make me a better person here's an example i'm talking with kevin Hyder. we are very slowly doing this about putting together a men's group that's going to like read like i don't know for how long but like we're gonna uh so the idea is to meet once a month and to read a great book and then we're going to come and talk about the ideas of that book. Now, you could say that it's just like a book club. I guess I, I guess it is. But the, the point is to talk about the very deep themes of that book. And, like, and not just in terms of the context of the book, but like what, why are those things important? So like why is courage important? Why is honor important? Why is, why is love? And like all of these things that are presented in this book. And how did this book... Like, what does this book teach me about things like valor or um, different things like that? And I like that because it's not necessarily about – it's about – I'm talking about these really big and important – these big and important ideas and things that um, I wonder if it's that they can make – and I could just be trying to make this fit into 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 the respect hole, but – when I'm able to understand these things, when I'm able to in, internalize, actualize these things and understand why they're important and be able to be able to connect these dots, 
it can help me strive for them, which would then make me a more respectful person. It, it, does that sound yeah. like I'm just trying to make this fit? No, no, no. I, I think the... Uh, no, and this is me wrestling with this text. Like, I don't think this concept is perfect in how it's fleshed out, but it just struck a chord in this notion of respect only as something that is earned and love is only something that's unconditional. And again, we're not, we're not talking about abuse here. Again, it's not permission for abusive situations and stuff, but like truly like the, a lack of respect in our society, a lack of honoring people who, to whom honor is due, I think really is a huge problem across the board, inside and outside of marriages, inside and outside of men and women. Right, I think that 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 is a negative thing now, and I think that's mm. that's a a dangerous, weird thing that I started to notice. Well, you know, it's um, it reminds me of the end of Godfather Part Two. Uh, spoilers, but whatever. Um, you should have watched it by now. One of the best films ever. Uh, where the brother, uh, this is Fredo. He's screaming at Michael, where he basically. Um, turned on, on turned on Michael a bit. He didn't think it was going to be a hit, but it was. He gave them some info about about Michael, and he's screaming. And this is at the, so he's been like ostracized, you know, basically uh, cut off by his brother. Then he's yeah. brought back in yeah. after his mother dies, and they're in this back room and they're like having a talk. And he starts screaming at his brother. He goes, "I'm your older brother," because he was the middle child, and Michael was the younger one, and. He goes, um, I want res- like I, I want respect, or, or, or I'm trying to remember like exactly how he says it. He goes like, I want respect, or something like that. He's so I'm desperate for this thing that he can't. Literally, have. literally, that's my favorite scene in Godfather Two. Yeah, because he feels in like an incomplete human being without it, and even his older brother, their older one in the first film, who's a bit off the handle, um. He, sorry, a bit like he's just a bit of a hothead. He and I, he, he um, gets respect, and I think why Alfredo doesn't have respect is because he doesn't handle himself well. He prioritizes having fun, getting drunk, going out gambling. He's not, he's not a very responsible person, so people inherently dis, disrespect him. You believe that? He said there was something in it for me. On my own. I've always taken care of you, Fredo. Taken care of me? You're my kid brother and you take care of me? Did you ever think about that? Huh? Did you ever once think about that? Send Fredo off to do this. Send Fredo off to do that. Let Fredo take care of some Mickey Mouse nightclub somewhere. Send Fredo to pick somebody up at the airport. I'm your older brother, Mike, and I was stepped over. That's the way Pop wanted it. It ain't the way I wanted it. I can handle things. I'm smart. Not like everybody says. Like dumb. I'm smart, and I want respect. But it makes you wonder if they were able to, if they could have found a way to respect who he was, while also calling him out on his bull and not allowing him to have these roles. You know, I, I don't like. How could you? Is there is there a way to respect? Because you know, because it's that um, lack of respect that he receives that causes him to turn on his family because he feels ostracized by them any, anyways. So he's 
acting out what he think is what he thinks has already happened to him. Yeah, yeah. So in that scene is so great because he's like, um, "You're my younger brother, Mike. You're my younger brother. It should have been me." Yeah, I go get I'm smart. Respect. I'm smart. I'm smart. I got ideas. And you're just like Fredo. Shut up. Just stop. And it is true, but it's in. This is the point of male culture. Is that it's easy, and this is the danger of male culture. Who do they respect? Well, one, they respected Sonny, right? Because he was violent, because he wasn't a pusher. He was all the wrong things, right? Yeah. Right. He was he was the he was the thing that like when people criticize the book Love and Respect. They say, well, it puts all the burden on women. It, uh, it, it's very easy for jerk men to, to, I think one person said, weaponize this to continue abusing women. Like, you don't respect me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And to force her to show him respect when he is, you know, abusing that authority or, or whatever it might be. But that scene highlights how men live and die, literally, by the way that we view and honor each other. And in the Godfather culture or the mafia culture, violence and cunning are the two most important things. Sonny was violent. Michael was cunning. Fredo was just indulgent. And yeah. there was no place that you can tolerate someone like him for a good time called Fredo. And he'll take you out to that Cuban place with the guy with the big penis. But, and with, with what's his name? Saul. But <laughs> it's not, and Mo Green, right? It's not, it's I'm Mo not Green. The, yeah, but he's not the reliable guy. And Mo Green slapped around Fredo, right? That was one of the scenes in Godfather Part 1. That's why Mo Green had to die, one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. He talked about slapping him around. Oh, he, he didn't mean it, Mike. He didn't mean it. And that's, that's men interacting with men. But this is a violent culture. But this is a violent culture where honor – I mean, just think about the mafia in The Godfather. Honor is the most important thing in, in there. But I think that's why most people are probably able to relate to Fredo. Most men are able to relate up to Fredo in that in that moment because you you internalize yeah. why that like that's everyone's worst everyone's worst fear is to be Fredo. Is to be Fredo. Yeah, but who do men want to be in that? Um, I think I think everyone wants to be Michael. You want to be the cool, calm, collected. He's a war hero. And then he saves the family. You despise his evilness. But if you had the difference between Michael and Sonny, Sonny's dead 10 times out of 10 because he thinks with his fists, not with yeah. his head. Yeah. Michael still kills. In fact, Michael probably kills more people than Sonny ever did. Except Michael, and he, Michael did it himself. He shot the, the two people in the, in the place with the gun hidden behind the toilet. But the idea was. It's in the toilet, but. Well, I mean, is it in the toilet? No, it's not. I'm sorry. Yeah. Everything revolves around, everything revolves around in that culture of respect, but that's the distortion. That's the abusive side. That's the dominating, destructive darkness of it. And that's, so this is funny. So I preach an anti-respect message in the worst place possible, the Ferguson unit, Texas prison. I went through St. Thomas Aquinas, right? His four lies of human happiness. Lie number one is wealth. Number two is power. Number three is pleasure. And number four is honor or respect. And so I, I'm t- going through all of these. And the last one just happened to be honor because I couldn't remember it. And <laughs> so then I go through the fourth one. And a guy raises his hand and he goes, I live in a prison. I live and die by the respect people have for me and the fear they have for me. 
So now tell me again how I'm supposed to live without respect. And I was like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. <laughs> and then I looked at him. I said, no, no, no. What St. Thomas Aquinas is saying is not that you can't have wealth, you can't have power, you can't have pleasure, and you can't have honor. What Thomas Aquinas is saying is those are the four distractions from what will make you happy. So if you lose your wealth, if you lose your power, if you lose your pleasure, if you lose your honor, can you still be happy? The answer is yes. You might not be able to survive in prison, but you can still be happy because you have Christ Jesus. And so you look at the husband and wife dynamic, and this is where I think Reverend Timothy Keller is a corrective to the love and respect or the Timothy Gordon side of things. It's a corrective because it's rooted in the death of Jesus Christ and his rising. It's rooted in wives, not just, it's not root, wives be submissive to your husbands, husbands love your wives, is rooted in the great mystery of Christ, which is ultimately you two are supposed to be subject to one another, right? But if the husband demands, I demand respect from you, Shannon, like that's never going to work. The way it works is the husband humbles himself and says, I'm going to love you even if you disrespect me. Because I'm 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 loving Jesus through this. Yeah, and that and Eld, uh, the the guy Dr. Emerson talked. He calls it the reward cycle, where if a husband does this or a wife does this for the husband, and maybe your husband respect is not his trigger, and that's fine. Like that's awesome. Then maybe it's love, and you're you're totally good. Maybe your wife her thing is respect, right? R e s p e c t. Do you remember who sang that song? Are we the Franklin? Uh, you know who wrote that song? Yeah, it's Al. Was it Al Green or something? Nope. No, Otis, Otis Redding. Redding. He wrote that to his wife. When you read, listen to those lyrics, all I want and all I'm asking is for a little respect when I get home. Just a little bit when I get home. <laughs> right? Like, that's a totally different song when a man is singing to the woman. When a man is singing to the woman, when a woman sings that to a man, it's empowering. When a man sings it to a woman, you, you cringe, don't you? No, yeah. All I'm asking when I get home is a little respect. R-E-S-B-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. Hmm. Imagine saying that to Aaron. I can. All I want is a little respect. I'm smart. <laughs> I was I'm smart. Like, dumb, I'm smart, and I want respect. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I'm trying to make some people with your, your huge things. Uh, like, you might be screaming and yelling at this. I'm not saying this book is scientifically rigorous. What I'm saying is it pointed out insights into failed marriages around me that I can identify and say, look, he's not loving her the way she wants to be loved. He's refusing to receive her need, and she's refusing to receive his need. They're just giving what they think their own needs are. They're giving from their own perspective, wondering why it's not working, and then getting pissed off at the other person for it not working, and then they have conflict and conflict and conflict. Well, and the whole point is that both are really important. Absolutely. Like, that's like you can't, is that you need both of them. Yeah. And so, this idea that just because, like, um, it's very, very important that we appreciate people. And we don't really do that anymore for the most part. We, we tend to, because when you appreciate a person, it, um, like we we tend to honor very stupid things now. We honor yeah. actors. We honor athletes. Yea, though they are, you know, are, they are gods though, among us. Yeah, <laughs> yea, though like much of our personal happiness is dependent upon what they do. Um, we honor uh, musicians, even though um, no one cares cares a 
about the Grammys. Like, we we don't really. I mean, we have the Nobel, uh, we have the Nobel prizes, but there's not really a lot of honoring that goes on within our culture anymore in terms of a thing that, um, you know. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong. I, I just I don't think it's a thing that we do as much. It's like we've we it's still there. We tend to do it a bit, but it, you know, like we don't really celebrate the man of the year or something like they used to do at parades and things like that. Or and so it's just this thing that um, it's something that we lack. And I think trying to understand what just because we know what it looks like um, when it's done poorly doesn't mean we should throw it out altogether is is yeah. what I'm saying. Well, it's funny that you use those examples because I use those examples today, teaching the communion of saints. So for um, for many Protestants, right, they come, they're like, what the hell is your deal with Mary? Can I become Catholic without being a Mary obsessed? I get that asked almost every year. No. <laughs> and I tell them that every year. Um, everything we believe about Mary safeguards what we believe about Christ. But the idea is they, they don't understand why we have the community of saints. And I remember this one guy was like, what is the point? If I have Christ, why do I need to have Christ and St. John or St. Francis or Blessed Virgin Mary or all this other stuff? And so I went and um, I did some studying. And I, and I like these different books in the community of saints, but they just go through. It's mostly biblical apologetics. Hey, here's this, here's that. But there's this wonderful book by Frank Sheed on the Catholic Evidence Guilds, and it's like the basic training outlines. And his first statement is, when you're debating with a Protestant about the need for the communion of saints and the Catholic vision of it, don't start with, well, it's honor, it's not worship, we only worship God. He said, that puts it in the wrong framework. Like, you already got them, they already think it's competition with God, right? You're faking with the saint instead of just going right to Jesus. And he said, don't do that. That's the most ridiculous thing you could possibly do. Instead, what you need to do is start with the very human notion of honor. We honor that which is honorable. So, for instance, uh, so I use the example of the statue of, uh, of Iwo Jima, the Marines on Iwo Jima. You know, and they're raising the flag. Yeah. And there's that guy's hand who's almost touching. He's a Navajo dude. And, like, all this, like, really cool backstory about the men who raised that flag. Um, no one worships, no one goes there and has the cult of the Marines of Iwo Jima, right? People go there because it's a, it's a locus of respect and honor for what happened at World War II, even if dishonorable things were done in the name of it, right? And so there's all of these things that are kind of bound up with it, but honoring something is what a society does in order to tell its own story. Like we want, we honor this guy's courage in battle because that's what we favor, Right, we want courageous men and women, and so it's in one part it's like you point at it and you say imitate this guy, but in another thing it's you're pointing at it saying we should all like it's aspirational. It's not just telling. It's not just a mirror, but it's like a goalpost, right? And I think the same is true for the Grammys. And I use this example today. I said it's not just about military courage and valor. I said what about artistic achievement, right? They have the um, the JFK Center every year has the um, Samuel Clemens Award or the Mark Twain Award for co uh, comedy. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus run it, when, uh, I think she won it last year. Will Ferrell, if you read his acceptance speech, it is so funny. Um, but they, they do these things like they're honoring these things, right? And honor says like, hey, this, th the things that this person did represents both who we are and is a goal for where we want this thing to go. And so when you honor people with the MVP, right, you're saying, like, 
all right, this player at the, at the Super Bowl, this guy, not only was he exceptional as an athlete, but he also was an exceptionally moral athlete, right? He was a, a you know, he wasn't a dick on the field, basically. And so even in music with the Grammys that no, the wider culture doesn't care about, but I guarantee you musicians do. Mm. I mean, deep down, yes, that's just because they're all very, very needy. <laughs> but see, that's the thing is we all are. And honor and love get to that core of us. But love is more about, I mean, I don't really know exactly how to describe it. I mean, love is the desire to will the good for your beloved. And so respect would be a part of love in a very real way. But respect specifically focuses on the achievements done, right? And so it helps people to see that. Now, I'm not, I'm not canonizing this book or its author. I'm just saying I saw so many relationships framed within this and i was like holy crap this speaks to me it absolutely speaks to me so me and my wife watched that video on the couch and i I thought he did a good job being like it's not about abuse we're we're talking about normal male and female couples where they 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 want the best for their marriage but they're they're just in a terrible rut and they don't know where to go well and i also think um a few of the easiest relationships to walk away from was when the girl that I was dating just wasn't being very respectful. And I was like, done. Like just, it just, yeah, it, it made it very easy to be like, no, not get involved with this. Uh, so I, I told my wife this story today when we were going to get the damn dog. I said, uh, it made me, it, <laughs> what's the dog's name? Buddy. Oh, buddy. Buddy's going to be best friends with Zara and Sienna. Shannon wanted to name him Francisco. Francisco. <laughs> so we compromise on Buddy. It's <laughs> from the elf. <laughs> I wanted to name him, uh, shit, what's his name? What's the man's name in the movie? Buddy's dad. James Conn. Yeah, I wanted to name him James Conn. <laughs> James Conn, get over here. <laughs> no, but. Um, Speaking of the Godfather. So I, I had a friend in college who was a friend from our hometown. And every time I saw her, she would say, how come you never call me? How come you never invite me out? We were friends back home, and we're friends every time we go home, but you never call me here. You never do this. And I remember th- hearing that and being like, you know, I'm sorry, you're right, blah, blah, blah. But then I never called her. And then we would see each other outside of class, and she would say it again. I'm like, shit. And then one day I, like, snapped at her, and I go, hey, you know, your phone, it's a two-way street. You can call me. You can invite me to places. You've never once called me to come over to your house. You never once told me, you know, you want to hang out for, you know, get a bite to eat at the cafe for lunch. You've never done that. It's a two-way street. Quit complaining at me. Let's just figure out a time and let's do it. And we never did. And I realized the reason why I never did is every time I saw her, she, and this is not, like, I don't think this is a man-woman thing, but she was upset that I wasn't going out of my way for our relationship but she never went out of our way for her rela- for our relationship either. She never did. So I was like, why is it my role to do this as friends? And so when one of the things I was like, you don't want to be around someone who is constantly disrespectful. Women don't want to be around men who disrespect women or a particular woman. Men don't want to be around a woman or a, or another man. Like, look, if you like you're the king of this, right? Like you had uh, one of our household brothers made fun of you multiple times, and you just kicked him out of your life. 
And this guy came back hat in hand and apologized. And you're like, listen, we're not that close for you to make those kind of jokes. Do you remember that? Oh, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Do you remember? Uh, no, I don't remember that. Yeah, it was like two years ago. He used to listen to our show a lot. And he would make these like rude comments to you that were like tongue-in-cheek funny. And you're like, listen, we're not close that close for you to make those comments. And then he apologized. And are you sure it was, was fine? I have no yeah, memory of that at place. all. Yeah, no. I remember that 100%. <laughs> That's so funny. I have no memory of that. Yeah. Stroke. Yeah. <laughs> Blame it on the stroke. Hey, Luke, why is your dick out? Blame it on the stroke. <laughs> I, n- I know. I don't remember that at all. Luke, why are your balls covered in peanut butter? <laughs> blame it on the stroke. I'll blame it on the stroke, even though you're alone with the dog. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I lick everything. I'm a puppy. <laughs> everything? No, no. Um, oh, man, we just <laughs> have to take all that out. All, all that out. All that out. All that out. Um, oh, gosh. You're, you're making a great point. No, but like that, that, like consistent disrespect means you want to end a relationship, right? Like even if it's two dudes, right? Like you're just like, whoop, done with you, because it's exhausting. Yeah. Why do you want to be around exhausting? Well, and I think also there's been people that we've been around who I've just said I'm done hanging out with them because it yeah. just is continually crapping on people or in a way that's yeah. just uh, you're right, not very respectful and just like I'm not, I just don't care. Yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah. Hmm. Good episode, man. Yeah. And I and I just wonder where it ties into confidence and respect. Like a man a man who has respect, who's been explicitly shown respect. And I don't just mean by women. I think that that a lot of this can get clouded with that. But like if if, if you, Luke, were to come to me, because I value your opinion and been like, hey man, this prison thing that you're doing, this is this is awesome. And I support it by giving you sixty nine dollars. That's hilarious, right? I I think it's great, and I'm I'm gonna retweet it. And I'm gonna share it. I'm gonna let people. That is, that is an act of respect and a sign of love that means the world, right? So you're because because I'm trying to put myself out there. I've never raised money before for anything. I'm trying to put myself out there, and all of a sudden you get this groundswell support, and you're like, well, okay, wow, all right, let's do this. That is energizing. Yeah. That is energizing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's and if you, true. because I know you love me as a friend, <sighs> you make a mean cat woman. Um, I know you love me as a friend, but the act of respect is a thing I can point to and say right there, right there, you know, kind of writes it in stone. So. Well, I think also uh, going back to the confidence piece. Uh, I, I, I wonder if it comes from respecting yourself. Yeah. You know, and if you respect yourself, but I don't think you can respect yourself without having some sort of experience of outside respect. No, right? because you don't have right. anything to but I base think if, it on. Well, cause I think if you respect yourself and you respect others, like, okay. So like, what do we mean? Okay. So how's, okay. One way to really gain, one way to gain confidence is sports. So in understanding this is a very hard task, and I was able to d- do this. And I have – and the respect comes from oh, within that understanding what are the rules of the game, obeying your coach, being there for your teammates, putting in the hard work. You know, I mean – and sometimes that confidence can be misplaced if it's just pure talent. 
or something unlike that, or but that you know, and that can get you kind of far, but it won't get you much past your thirties. You can go into your if you're like really talented at a thing, you can coast on that till about your early thirties, and then that kind of stops. Yeah, because it just yeah. gets sad. <laughs> and where people who you know who uh, so there's a little bit of 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 a trade. And so I I'm so like I mean I'm real respect that is. Um, Life lasting respect, not I'm talented, I'm going to write on this because those people just end up like that's why I think like a lot of dudes in sports who are very talented and coast on that end up being real pathetic by the time they are our age. Yeah, like it's just sad. Like when you look at, at a, a guy like Maradona, what he's like now, it's just he's someone to be pitied, not to be celebrated. It's really why? pathetic. I don't know anything about him. Um, oh, <laughs> that's, uh, he's probably the greatest um, the soccer player ever. He was an Argentinian, probably one of the most unfamous athletes in the history of the world. Um, just not, but not um, big in America. Um, although, and it just, it just looks like a sad, isolated, and lonely man. Um, it's really like there's this. There is a documentary that was on HBO about him. And you see how he has like a falling out uh, with this one club team, and his life just like falls apart to a to a cocaine addiction. And I'm th- I don't I don't think he's married. He was he, he was at the World Cup, and you could see like coke on the on the glass um, rails, like it, it, and it just it just and he was just acting like a fucking maniac. And I don't use that word. Well, like, he was acting just like it was disturbing. At first, it was you know kind of funny. Then it's like, wait, this is still going, and then you start to see the powder, and you're like, oh my, is is this like a, a guy in his fifties on cocaine? Like it, yeah. it just was sad. It's just it's you know, and you can just tell it. He's just doing this thing because he doesn't know what else to do with his life. So he's gonna go crazy while he watches this game because he this is what he has to do to feel alive. Yeah, and, and that's, yeah, and that and that's when. That's when the the male proclivities to idolatry manifest. Yeah, because totally. if or, or or you could just say the respect proclivities. Like if women are ordered the same way, if a particular woman is ordered towards respect or whatever or honor, then what happens is when they they make an idol of that thing that gives them that respect, and then that thing is removed, and they realize no one else respects them because of and because of them as a person. And that's the danger of respect in a very big way is because respect is so ordered towards outward achievements. But I don't that – Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that the, the danger is I let those things define me as a person. And then you have that idolatry that creeps in because an idol, an idol is a good thing that when it becomes the main thing ruins everything. Being amazing at soccer and even if you're famous, amazing. But when that becomes that by which you define yourself, then that can utterly collapse. That can utterly destroy you, even when you have all the respect in the world. Yeah. And it, it uh, like, I think, like, because, like, real respect is ultimately earned, right? Yeah, and, like, that's why it's attached to achievement, yeah. But I think it, this achievement, though, okay, um, I, agree, I agree with you on that, but I think there is a, there is a danger to be like, I think it's even better when it can attach that to creation. 
Okay. And so here's so here's what 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 I knew. Like we can absolutely attach that to um and I like an achievement thing, but if but if you almost show up to work every day and you're on time and you are well dressed and and that can be whatever I'm well dressed is for like you don't you don't like you look like you like you respect yourself, you have showered, you have you know, like you look yeah. Like a yeah. decent human being, how, however you define that within your office culture, you're on time, and you work hard. You may even like uh, fail at a at a couple of of the things that you do, but you put in the effort, and you're there trying to do those um, right things. People will respect you because you have uh, created these habits that say, "I'm all in." Right. I'm here with you. And so I don't know if it's necessarily always I'm linked to what you're able to do. I think it's more often about like, what are you able to create through how you, through how um, you do things. So that can be a persona that can be a um, people know they can rely on you. That can be, and I, so I guess it's achieved. It's attached to what we can achieve, but I think it's more, um, this is just through work. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, of a, I'm a different example. Um, hmm. Like, okay, so like, why do we, the importance of us when we release an episode every week is because we really want to respect the people who are giving us money on patreon.com slash CF, patreon.com slash CF. Just want to take the time to talk about our um our like five dollar uh, tiers. Those are people who don't want the podcast to go away, and they'll get a free sticker at some point in time if they give five dollars per month at patreon.com slash cf. But that's kind of a joke. I was like, "Why? Where's your delayed laughter?" <laughs> but, but the but the point is that like I feel that we will disrespect our patrons if we don't if we don't release. An episode, and it's that um, a disrespect that keeps us accountable. Yeah, to to do it. And so it's not necessarily about trying to like achieve a thing as much as it is as it um, is a faithfulness that we're in this thing together, and I want to respect that because you respect, and I, I guess they're respecting like what, well, but I, like I don't respect what they have achieved for us. I respect like the trust that they have um, given us or the right. faith that so they they've have given in us. Trust. So if you look at it as a primary emotional need, right, like they just showed us respect by saying you're worth paying for and you're worth me chiming in on and you're worth me talking about and tweeting and sharing and, you know, discussing these things and listening to you guys at work. It's all of those yeah. things that combine. Like, if, um, But just to boil this down and, and wrap the conversation up, I think that when it comes to marriage for me and my wife, there are two things that I think is absolutely essential to my wife and I. Um, we drink coffee in the morning and we chit-chat at night. They say, you know, a man speaks 7,000 words a day, a woman speaks 30,000. And by the end of the day, if a woman is at home with the kids like my wife is, you know, I've spoken my whole 7,000 at work and I'm on fumes when it comes to that stuff. So what I do is I give the best of my time to her in the morning. I sit down. I wake up early. I do a bunch of stuff that I need to get done. I was up at 445 writing, sending out stickers and all that stuff for our Patreon supporters so that when my wife came down the stairs, we could talk and we could have that coffee time. Well, today was weird because we were going off to get a puppy at 7 a.m. 
but me and my wife, we didn't, sometimes we listen to headphones, go separate, you know, whatever. We chit-chatted, you know, for two and a half hours or two hours out to Austin. That is such important time. It's when I'm the most focused on her, and she can share with me whatever she wants about the day before, about the coming Mm -hmm. day, about her thoughts, whatever. That is so important for us. Mm. I learned to like coffee just so I could have those times with my wife. I, I would die for my wife in, in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. But my wife keeps asking me, you keep saying that, but you've never done it. <laughs> one day, one day. Um, a joke. I told my wife the other day, I would die for you, Shannon. I would kill for you, Shannon. Please, Please ask me to kill for you. <laughs> Speaking of of stealing things from The Simpsons, <laughs> like dumb, I'm smart and I want to spend.